Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. We're back with part two of our spotlight on migration in Northern Africa in Destination Maghreb. In our last episode, we discussed what's causing more sub-Saharan African migrants to stay in the Maghreb rather than merely transiting through the region on their way to Europe. This week, we'll look at the migrants who've begun to call North Africa their new home. We'll also look at how governments in North Africa are managing complex sets of pressures in addressing growing migrant populations in their countries. We're back speaking to Haim Malka, Senior Fellow and Deputy Director in our Middle East program. He begins by explaining that the Maghreb is not immune from the anti-immigrant sentiment that is common in the United States and Europe. The anti-immigrant sentiment that we see very clearly in the United States and Europe is similar to the anti-immigrant sentiment that we see in other parts of the world, including in North Africa. There's a perception in most places, whether it's accurate or not, that migrants are going to be taking jobs and migrants are going to be depleting government resources that are scarce. So there have been instances of a backlash against migrant populations. There had also been harassment by police and security forces for illegal migrants, especially for those migrants working in the informal sector, where there's already tension between state security forces and the people working in that sector. But as Haim explains, the countries of the Maghreb have themselves had high rates of emigration, and so that experience should have some bearing on how they deal with this new challenge. These are countries that have sent large segments of their own population abroad for decades. I mean, nearly 7% of Morocco's population lives in Europe. There are large diasporas of Tunisians in Europe as well. So these countries and these societies in North Africa have been through this process of leaving their homes, looking for better opportunity, resettling in a new country, having to learn in some cases new languages, and having to deal with the challenges of migration and integration and assimilation. It's not just the human costs that these governments have to weigh. Complex issues of geopolitics and regional alliances also play a part. Governments in the Maghreb have to balance a lot of competing interests to deal with migration. They have to deal with the demands of European governments. Italian leaders welcomed Tunisian President Baji Kaït Essebsi to discuss collaboration on a variety of issues, including the fight against terrorism and migrant trafficking. They have to deal with the demands of African governments. They have to deal with their own societies and domestic constituencies, which have a say. And they have to deal with the rights of the migrants themselves. These are aid relationships, military and intelligence cooperation, investment, trade, political ties, diplomatic ties, various foreign policy objectives. So there's a lot at stake for Maghreb governments to get this right. And while these countries are trying to balance these priorities, they face the problem of a growing youth unemployment crisis. There's no country in the world that's figured out how to create enough jobs for its citizens. Countries in the Maghreb also suffer from high youth unemployment. Every evening, Bilal and Mohammed trawl the net looking for work. They left university with good degrees, but the only jobs that exist are in call centers. In Morocco, youth unemployment is about 21%. In Algeria, it's closer to 29%. In Tunisia, it's more than 35%. So how have these countries been dealing with this? It depends. Different countries have had different approaches. 
with some opting for a security-based approach and some trying to make the most of their new population. Debates over migration have been front and center in every country in North Africa. And Mar Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia have all had public debates about migration, about how to address migration, and it's come into play in different ways. In Algeria in particular, the government has started repatriating or expelling migrants in fairly large numbers. The Algerian government came out and announced that since 2015, they've expelled or repatriated more than 25,000 sub-Saharan migrants back to their home countries. In the summer of 2017, Algeria had its own debate about regularization and whether to provide protections and, and residency permits to some of these sub-Saharan African migrants. And it was a fairly short-lived debate. It was very active debate, especially on social media. And ultimately, the government made a decision by default, essentially continuing the process of repatriation. Where Algeria has taken to sending migrants back south, Morocco has taken a more pragmatic approach. Morocco has launched the second phase of a campaign to issue resident permits to thousands of undocumented migrants on Thursday. The first phase was launched in 2014. In its first year, 25,000 people were regularized, with a further 18,000 under review. The permits allow migrants to work, enroll their children in schools, and get access to basic medical care. Morocco's taken the most comprehensive approach because not only does it work with European governments and cooperates closely on the security front, as do the other Maghreb governments, but Morocco has started to try to figure out how to integrate sub-Saharan African migrant populations, how to provide legal protections and benefits for these populations, how to think about them more as an opportunity, not only to advance some of Morocco's foreign policy goals in Africa, but also take advantage of some of the skills that these migrants have. Danga left Kinshasa eight years ago. Since then, he's lived in Morocco. He's among the first to have benefited from the new regularization program, and he says the system's become a lot simpler. In the past, even if you did your job well, nobody could employ you. Now everything has changed. People now respect you. My employer isn't afraid to hire me anymore, now that he knows he won't be in trouble for giving me work. So far, Morocco has been the only country that has approached migration through this more strategic, long-term policy of trying to integrate migrant populations. Morocco's also started launching education programs for migrant children. There are about 6,000 children of sub-Saharan African migrants in the Moroccan public school system that are learning Arabic, that are learning Moroccan Arabic. There are classes on Moroccan culture. The idea that all of these migrants are uneducated or lack skills is misleading. There are also thousands of sub-Saharan African students studying in Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. Many of them try to stay in those countries after they finish their studies. There are cases of hospitals, for example, in Morocco that are trying to hire sub-Saharan African nurses and other healthcare workers to work in the healthcare systems there. So it's a much more diverse population than we actually think of. Serge Anako arrived here five years ago this Ivorian former university lecturer and father of a one-month-old baby makes his living by giving French lessons. As he sees it, the situation has improved since he first arrived in the kingdom. 
Initially, it was difficult for a migrant to seek treatment. It was very hard. It was also difficult for migrant children to enroll in school. Today, we feel that there's a change. And so, little by little, amidst the misery and uncertainty that accompanies the lives of these migrants, there is some positive change. And there are potential long-term economic benefits too, as Haim explains. There's been a brain drain in North Africa. Many of the educated professionals have left the country. They've gone to Europe. They've gone to Canada. Increasing numbers are coming to the United States. So sub-Saharan African migrants with skills can actually help address that brain drain that's gone on in North Africa over the last several decades. As the number of migrants to the Maghreb continues to grow, Haim says countries must build a longer-term approach to the migration crisis. A strategy that is built solely around security cooperation and trying to physically prevent people from leaving their countries or departing illegally by sea is only going to work for a limited period of time. And that's why the countries that take a longer-term, more strategic approach that are trying to look at legal protections that are trying to look at ways to provide residency permit and provide different incentives for communities to integrate more into their countries, those are the countries that are going to benefit from the opportunity that migration brings. Those countries that take a purely security-focused approach are probably going to lose out. If we think about migration throughout history and countries that have benefited from migration, migration creates some vibrancy. It renews population. If we think of the United States as a country that's benefited from migration, many of these countries in North Africa haven't had that similar experience. They've been part of immigration in, in other countries, but they haven't witnessed the vibrancy that new populations and new societies bring into their own countries for centuries. And that was Haim Malka bringing us to the end of our show for this week. If you'd like to learn more about migration in the Maghreb, I'll include a link to Haim's report in the show's description. Thanks to Lama Gamal and Intercultural Music Productions for the music. If you like this departure from the norm and want us to do more in-depth stories, you can let me know. Contact me at cquinn at csis.org or on Twitter. We'll be off next week, and we'll be back the week of June 11th, where we may be discussing the Trump-Kim summit. Until then, you can catch up with our latest addition to the CSIS podcast stable, The Impossible State, on all things North Korea. Until then, I'm Colm Quinn. Thanks for listening. Yeah,